Hello and welcome to a very special Thanksgiving bonus episode of In Search of Tracks podcast. My name is Pete. My name is Bob. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, but most especially happy Thanksgiving. Pete, how are you doing today, buddy? Hey, man, you too. I'm doing well. How about you? Good, good. Everybody knows we aren't recording this live, but uh, I think I'm going to be enjoying a very Connecticut Thanksgiving this year. So uh, that's always nice. Nice. Uh, Yeah, it's fun, fun, fun times. And, uh, you know, it's a weird thing. I enjoy Thanksgiving, Uh, not for the colonialism Mm -hmm. or the, um, you know, whole... uh, pilfering of lands of people uh, and all that fun stuff. It's weird. That's the only reason I like it. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like food and I actually like that it's kind of this holiday that's more about being around family without the expectations of gifts or anything. You're just kind of supposed to be hanging out and having a nice day. Um, no, I like that vibe too. And that's kind of the energy I want to hopefully push to people like, we have an opportunity to take things and shape your world as you will. You know, I shape my world around the idea of Thanksgiving being this cool time where you bring good food to your friends and family and spend a nice day just hanging out. Nothing in particular. And it's a Thursday, which means you also get a Friday off. And that's sick. Who doesn't it's love sick. that? It's sick. And you get all these sales. You get to buy all your stuff for Christmas. You get the well, this the other best holiday where you do have the expectation of gifts. <laughs> so let's go. Um get we right also into know it. um Axe <laughs> Grind, uh other podcasts I do typically do some Thanksgiving stuff. I don't know what we're doing this year. I think we're doing something a little different. We like to give a little extra content for the people who travel on this day. Um, and that's what we're doing here because uh, you know, why not? If not, it's why fun. not? Yeah, I always like when bonus. my podcasts give uh, extra bonus content. So I figured, why not give a little bit? Give a little give bit. A little, little, little. Um, <laughs> Pete, what are we? What are we? What are, what record are we talking about today? We're not talking about a record, Bob. Whoa, we're gonna whoa, whoa, just, what? We're just gonna have a little conversation about music. Hell yeah! We're gonna do a special uh, "What If" themed episode. Mm. So we both came up with a list of questions. And maybe we can just go back and forth. But the idea is, you know, what if the Beatles never broke up? You know, what if, et cetera. So you get the idea. Um, Sure do. I don't remember how we came up with this, but it's something we talked about on a previous episode and it sounded fun. So seemed like perfect fit for a uh, Thanksgiving themed fun little mini, mini bonus episode. And I hope people enjoy it. And, uh, you know, if you like it, let us know and we'll do more of it. But, you know, it's kind of a, a nice way to break things up and talk differently about things we like to talk about, which is music and records and records in general. Yeah. Uh, what ifs are always a fun game. Do you want to kick us off, Pete, or do you want me to kick us off? It'll be like a better version of that Marvel TV show that it doesn't seem like anybody mm. liked. It was fine. They just... Um, the problem with it, Pete, as a complete comic book dork who there is a what if comic book series that's been going on. There was one in the 70s and then they rebooted it in the late 80s and blah, blah, blah. I remember it's, having a few copies of that, actually. Yeah, It's this really cool idea because it's like, hey, here's these characters you're familiar with in different situations and different scenarios. And so it 
in the sequence of a 22 page comic book, they can really take stories in and do something really different. Yeah. The TV series just kind of, it was lukewarm. They needed to go further than they did. So, so with that said, uh, we're going to go in Pete. Do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Um, I'll kick it off. Yeah. I love that. All right. You kick it off. All right. I have a few here. Where do I start? I'm going to start with this one. What if Metallica Mm. packed it in after Cliff Burton died? You know what? So Master of Puppets comes out. They're on tour. Mm -hmm. Band's over. Um... Which is so crazy. Master of Puppets is 1986. Yeah. It's so crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. So there's no injustice for all? No. Okay. Uh, Metallica is revered as the greatest metal band of all time. Uh, okay. Of thrash metal, you know. Um, saddest story. And a huge what if. What would they be like? What would they sound like after if, if Cliff had not died? Um, in the same way that we think about it with Nirvana, you know? Um, would I, I want to hear some of your stuff, but would Metallica be bigger or smaller than they eventually got if they packed it in after Master of Puppets? I think after, much smaller. Much smaller. Yeah, so you like I, cult I, status. I think it's cult status, like best thrash metal band of all time. Yeah, and I think, and, right. and I think that all those dudes go on to do bands. That, yes, that's the question. That don't even compare to Metallica. Like, it, it, it's it's not going to be as good as the first three Metallica records, and they're not going to hit that peak that they did with Black Album, Black Album, right? Because the energy just isn't there. No, because they're starting from scratch. Um, do you think? Who sticks together? That was the hard part for me because I don't know that the dynamic like that. And they, they they feel like such a unit. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't know. Like, does Kirk go into his own band? I think one of them never plays music again. Right. Like I think. Like I think Lars. Like it. Maybe it just breaks his heart. You can't do it anymore. Okay, okay, okay. That would be all right. Um, <laughs> so, and I, I agree. I don't think they're able to pull off, like, sonically, if I'm being honest, where they end up with both Injustice for All and Black Album. Yeah. It feels logically like where it was going to go. And I think sure. there's a lot of people who like to have a really romantic version of Metallica where the Black Album doesn't happen if um, if Cliff is there. Yeah. But I'm not sure that's where I think it would be. Um, so I think greatest thrash metal band of all time, status is locked in. These three immaculate records, oh my God, they're so good. Does someone take their place? Does Megadeth get bigger? Does Slayer get bigger? Like, well, that's the happens? thing. 
none of those bands were as nearly that. as accessible as Metallica. Yeah, they none of them had their Black album. Yep. So like Ooh. like even I th- I think I mentioned in the, our Metallica episode I read this interview with uh, Bruce Dickinson, and he was like, you know, in retrospect, like we all really admired Metallica because they did the thing that we were kind of unwilling to do, you know, which was just like kind of make the more accessible record mm-hmm. that was still a metal record. It was still heavy. It still, you know, had its kind of rougher edges, but it was very much like a big rock mainstream record. And I think there was so much attitude about like selling out or doing this or whatever at the time that, Metallica leaned into it in this way that everyone else was unwilling to do. Yeah, they just said fuck it and did it. Yeah, they did it. <sighs> so, I don't know, man. I think... I don't know if those shoes get filled. No, I think at least two different bands come out of the broken Metallica. Yeah. Neither reaches the heights the Black Album era like peaks at in terms of mass popularity that just cements them yeah but i think okay you know what i think they might achieve misfits level iconic status like they become the metal version of misfits where like their shirts are iconic as popular as ever they they could skate on that forever um in the legacy because those three albums are so so classic yeah, and, with that. And I think hit a bigger high even at the time than like any Misfits record did. So there'd be this weird underground credibility, um, but also just like to a larger scale, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That yeah, all that makes was, sense. And then maybe a, they do like some terrible reunion tour, like now. Oh, well, it's like pull the plug. Let's say they pull the plug. Yeah, they, they would have filled, they would have filled stadiums whenever they would do a reunion if they broke up at that point it would be big big you know yeah big big um guns and roses comeback vibe mm, yes all right ready for my first one let's go what if david bowie sang on the record lust for life that he had a hand in writing with iggy pop and conversely what would the David Bowie album Heroes sound like with Iggy Pop singing on it? <laughs> so they swap places. They swap places. So Heroes is an Iggy record. So Iggy's singing on Heroes and David Bowie is singing on Lust for Life. Okay. Uh, because, you know, as, as kind of, which was sort of a revelation to me, was these rec- records were recorded basically back to back. Yeah. And both were sort of involved on both, but mostly David Bowie helped with the writing and recording of lust for life. Yeah. Interesting. I think a little more light than what if Metallica broke up when cliff died. Yeah. We, I mean, we can, I, I got some light ones too. We can okay, go good, good, jump good. around. Well, but, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I think that it's difficult because heroes, the song is such a huge hit. And it just would not be with Iggy Pop singing it. It just wouldn't work with Iggy singing it. Yeah. And I think a lot of elements of that record don't work with Iggy singing it. And I think the same can be said for Bowie singing on on, uh, Lust for Life. So I don't know. I think that 
neither record is as well received. And I think that Lust for Life would stand out as kind of a... You said Lust for Life, right? I did, I did. Lust for Life, I was thinking Lust for Life with the idiot because they kind of came out around the same time. Yes, did. But L- L- Lust for Life is kind of this weird chapter in Bowie's history, although his the whole- song Lust for Life with David Bowie singing? Could work. Are we, are we talking about the albums? I'm talking about the album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the song Lust for Life could work, but I think that the, the album, album as is a whole not, would be so it, weird with be, him singing It'd be so it. weird, and it wouldn't be nearly as well-received as Heroes was. So I'm saying no, it's just close. like, it's this weird chapter in the Bowie catalog, but I was going to say his whole career is weird chapters. So like, yeah. maybe that becomes this fan favorite over time. I don't see it kind of like like really peaking the way that Heroes did because Heroes is just such an undeniable track. So if you don't have that, I don't know. So Heroes adds this interesting depth to Bowie's catalog because it's this epic, like kind of sadder, tonal, dark song, but that also feels kind of triumphant in the same way. Yeah. Lust for Life is kind of like, an odd boppy, like dancey, funky David Bowie song. Like, yeah, it, it would, it would be different if he's singing on it, but like, I wouldn't be mad. Like if you told me there's a version of David Bowie, like, Oh yeah. David Bowie has performed lust for life any number of times live. I'd be like, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. Be okay. That's not, that's not shocking or anything. And I'd be curious to hear it. So, um, hang it's, on one it's, second. it's honestly tough for me to say. Yeah. Because, I haven't listened to Lust for Life in a while. Me neither. And I, I, I feel like there are like some some weirder moments on that that might really work for Bowie, but also so might like, not. Some Weird Sin is a very odd song. Uh, there's some really weird songs on this record that would feel very out of place, like feel right in line with a uh, Iggy Pop record, but would feel very weird as a David Bowie record. Yeah. But Heroes with... Iggy Pop singing on that record would be really odd. Though maybe maybe it would mostly just be on the song Heroes because I'm now thinking about that record. Iggy could work on some of it. Iggy could work on some of it. This is so interesting. Just, just not the song Heroes, I don't think. But just not but, the song Heroes. But who knows? Maybe he kills it. I have no idea. Okay, Pete, what's next? What do you got? Okay, let's see here. So... The Misfits. Mm. They don't break up after Earth Day Day. They keep so going. What if the Misfits don't break up after Earth Day Day? No, so what if the Misfits' last record was Danzig 1? Mm. So that's like their swan song. <sighs> that's interesting. So Sam Hain, um, that's, all, that's all Misfits. Interesting. Okay, so I had thoughts to making a similar question, and I'm glad you did it. My question was going to be, what if Sam Hain kept going? Would their continued discography just be Danzig, you know, one through four or whatever? Interesting, yeah. But but I like your version. Here's the thing. If the Misfits don't break up after Earth AD, <clears throat> I don't think the natural progression is into Sam Hain. I know. It's it doesn't feel like that at all. I think they I think 
based on the people who like the misfits thrash metal <laughs> based on earth ad fast punk hardcore leaning towards some potential thrash metal yeah i think they go thrash metal and i'm th- and thinking about a lot of other punk and hardcore bands of the time i think the next record would have been like early crossover that definitely sounds right i don't think they had the chops to really do that as well as it ultimately was done no, by a lot of bands so add, that's, they, they that's the problem. i so that's my theory is the what if is they get at least one hired gun or ringer in there yeah <laughs> i think they need a new drummer i um, agree yeah, they called Dave Lombardo like they ended up that's doing right. 40 years later. Yeah, that's right. Um, and they shake it up. I think that's the way it goes. I think you could create a reality where um, they go and do Sam Hain is doable with the Misfits lineup. I think so. Not 100%, but it's, it's doable. If Danzig takes full control, yes. it's just like, guys, this is my band now. Like, I think the Sam Hain stuff could play. There might be some sonic changes. I also think that Danzig one might still be out of reach on a musicianship level. Sure. But there's kind of this, it's man, that's such a funny thing. Like when does earth AD come out? Like what year is misfits earth AD? I think that's 80. Is it 83? Yes, it's 83. So, Misfits Earth AD comes out in 83, December 83. Mm-hmm. From there, Mr. Danzig goes on to Sam Hain. Let's look at his, if we look at his personal discography, this can rock. The first Danzig record comes out in 88, which is five years later, which tracks, right? Like, yeah. Sam Hain feels like a sort of logical bridge there between those two things. Because it's not the Misfits, but it also is somewhere in between those two things. It could very much, <clears throat> it could very much be the Misfits, yeah. Yeah, in a lot I of think, places. I think it's just that that jump to Danzig. There'd probably be at least two and a half lineup changes between those things, right? For sure. And I think if if the Misfits continued, the road is is moving into the thrash scene. Because like if they if they make it past 83 like why are you telling me the misfits and metallica aren't going on tour with each other in the 85 yeah no i think that all that all makes sense is that how wild is that tour by the way yeah metallica are definitely taking them on tour yeah damn that's cool i love it i love that idea so yeah no it, it would be an interesting timeline to see where the misfits sound would wander and i my bet is halfway thrash metal yeah, I think if they land, if Danzig One is the swan song for the Misfits, there are no members left, and Danzig is calling the shots. Yes, you know, I mean, it's just it is what what Danzig actually is. It's just under the moniker of the Misfits. Yeah, I think that's that tracks. It's very interesting to think about where that journey is. All right, are you ready for my next one? Go for it. What if? Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA album had a decidedly not patriotic record cover. (laughs) So So what, he's like burning a flag on the cover? 
there's a burning flag on the cover. He's not burning it. There's a burning <laughs> flag on the cover. So this is to say that we both acknowledge that song has some pretty biting lyrical content when you when you unpack it. Yeah. But I'm going to say eight-tenths of the people who bore, bought, loved, and you know, lived by Born in the USA in the mid-80s were, you know, proud to be an American. Oh, yeah. Because at least I know I'm free. You know, like... Oh, man, that's a really good question. What is that energy? Like... Like... Even if it's ambiguous, like I mean, it's a, it's a, it's three vets standing around a, you know, dumpster fire, and there's a flag hanging on the side of the dumpster fire. So here's the thing: if it's super obvious and it's just like "fuck the USA" kind of thing, I think it could actually like end his career more or less. Like I think, I think the record really does not catch on because people really, really don't like that. Well, and then he's, and then he is basically this odd pariah. Yeah. And like which, which the rest has, of his career is totally different. Yeah, which has its own career trajectory for sure. But I think if it's ambiguous enough, he gets away with it, and the outcome is more or less the same. See, I don't think let's let's go because I totally agree with the. If it's straight up like Bruce Springsteen <laughs> burning a flag, <laughs> you know, and it says "Born in the USA," um, yeah, his I do want to see that album cover. I know. Uh, please, Photoshop Wizard, um, yeah. help us out. Uh, yeah, his career is somewhat unambiguously over in the sense that we know it. It does lead to a different route where he perhaps has some recovery people can acknowledge the record has these moments and the commentary is really well warranted but the climate of the mid 80s we were really rah rah fireworks shishkumba still oh, yeah. you know like so i don't think it's flying let's go the ambiguous ambiguous route here let's Ambi- talk about yeah. it like this um it is ambiguous but like the cover right now is there's no ambiguity. It feels like uncle Sam is giving you a high five and hand you to that record. A hundred percent. Yeah. And even the song sounds like that. That's right. And I mean, I'm leaving the sounds, the song sounding the same, but I just think even the imagery could have changed the way the American public digested it. Mm-hmm. Cause I hear that song and I see that record cover in my head. You know, and that's a weird thing to say, but I just feel like it's one of those entrenched moments. I think if it's more ambiguous, he's got a lot of explaining to do. Yeah. I don't think it catches, but it creates more conversation around some of the heavier topics in the song. For sure. Um, Which is interesting. And it's, but it is, I think it's one of these things why I think the aesthetic of a record can really matter. We hear these things, you see these things and it can make a difference how it looks when you look at that, you know? No, I think it's a great question. I think, I think he could, if it's ambiguous enough, he, he's able to explain it away, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of discussion about the record when it comes out. It's on the news. It's the whole thing, which I think deters a lot of people that would have been, 
Bruce fans otherwise. I think he loses that that farmland home homeland, you know, Nebraska audience. And I'm not saying Nebraska the album, I'm saying Nebraska the state. Yeah. But I think um, he I think he wins them over eventually still. Okay. Okay. I think it <clears throat> creates a real divide for him. Because I think Bruce at heart, like he's not he is he is a bit more proud to be an American, but in that way that like, yeah, like there's a lot to be thankful for and and appreciate about being an American, uh, despite all acknowledged warts. Yeah. Which is what he does. And it's like this nuanced conversation that he's able to have, even though people misread it. It's, you know, it's sort of like this idea how um, Leonard Skinner has, you know, Sweet Home Alabama. And it's this, you know, the it, it's dissing the governor, but the governor doesn't hear it the right way. And he just makes it, you know, the state song, essentially. Right, right, right. And it's like, wait a second, <clears throat> you didn't hear what we, we were booing you, dude. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that's that's sort of the energy with which people took Born in the USA was just like unambiguously, you know, like USA, USA, USA. And it's not that but the imagery would lead it to that. And I think it actually enables Bruce to, to talk about it and say those things without scrutiny. Yeah. For better and worse, you know, sometimes maybe a more, um, a more critical lens from that audience would create dialogue from people who maybe need that dialogue to hear like, Hey, you can love the USA, but still think the Vietnam war was kind of like a bad, a rough shot, you know, yeah. <laughs> like that didn't yeah, work yeah, out yeah. well. Um, especially in the mid eighties, it was still kind of a weird thing. A hundred percent. I mean, the only thing I'll say for sure is he is not immediately filling stadiums. No, no, oh, no, that's oh, not no. happening. That's, that's, that's the big <clears throat> thing. And I think his career trajectory was just so upward because of that. It was like, boom, this dude is going from like big deal. Everybody knew who Bruce Springsteen was to no, no, everyone knows who Bruce Springsteen is. Yeah. So, all right. What do you got? Next one. All right. So King Crimson announced a new tour, but they have a new singer. What if King Diamond were announced as a new singer of King Crimson? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad so many people enjoyed my my uh, <laughs> uh, self deprecation there because it's a it's lot of real. people love that. Oh, yeah. I loved it. I think they they got it. It's it's just because it was real as hell, man. I felt like deepest. Um, yo, uh, in the court of the Crimson King. So you got well. I do have an eight-year-old who loves to sing that part. Loves okay. to sing that part, but uh, he's his voice is deeper than uh, King Diamond. <laughs> Mr. Diamond. Yeah. So uh, yeah, no, I'm not buying tickets. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out on King Diamond singing. Oh, for King with Crimson. the with the corpse paint and all of it. I'm going, dude. I'm in. Yo, can we get a mashup of the Court of the Crimson King cover, but it's King Diamond with his mouth open with the corpse <laughs> paint? Let's get it. That'll be good. All right, what do you got? All right, let's get it. Uh, okay. Caven. We discussed their album, Jupiter. Yeah. <clears throat> what if Caven's Jupiter album leaned in to the metallic until your heart stops sound? So they lean in. It's, it's essentially until your heart stops part two. 
Yes. Better, um, worse? Do they what, what? What is their trajectory? What is their path like? I think they remain a at, more or less at the at the level that they were, like one of the bigger metal metalcore acts around, um, kind of on par with the Converge and kind of grow in the same way that Converge grew. Um, mm. But they are not nearly as influential or impactful. They obviously don't end up on a major label and do huge tours. Um, I could see them landing in the same place that they did on perfect pitch black and then more or less having a similar career trajectory. Um, and I think playing the same level shows, but I don't know. Jupiter was a big record for a lot of people at that time. And without that pivot, I just, they're, they're more than capable of doing plenty of interesting things. So maybe they could have gone in a different direction that was equally as, as, uh, as influential and kind of different as Jupiter after this second metallic record. But I don't know. I mean, that's the, the what if of it to me is that there are people who we know and, and appreciate who will say until, and you might be one of them until your heart stops is pinnacle of that metallic metal core, metallic hardcore sound. Yeah. I love that record. Yeah. <clears throat> but it seems as though it's sort of, hasn't faded i don't think fade is the right term but it you have to seek it out more because caven pivots their sound and so that people who like caven like me are like a jupiter person right whereas like what if jupiter was until your heart stops part two or an evolution of that sound like you said the converge thing like would jupiter metal metalcore jupiter been Caven's Jane Doe. This record that vaults them into like Mount Rushmore status. More so even than they are already. I mean, that's the th- like I have a hard time with that only because until your heart stops like I'm sure that some people like it just as much if not more than Jane Doe. Oh, absolutely. However, here's the person I'm talking about is the person who's like, Oh yeah. Like converge and cave in that stuff's neat, but I'm a opposite of December poison. The well right. is my band. And, and I think that there's just were some records that came out when cave in pivots. Yeah. That overshadowed their foundational work no, to the world true. of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. It is interesting to me. And I also say this, I think Jupiter's, a remarkable post hardcore record. I love it. I think it's yeah. like just fantastic. And uh I would be sad, but I wonder what that does for them as a band, their trajectory, what they do sonically. Um and as as mentioned, there's this fun way and you can hear on creative eclipses as well that there are some strings, there are some threads between the until your heart stops era and the Jupiter era. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting question, though. All right, give me. Let's go. Next. What What if Nirvana never wrote Smells Like Teen Spirit? <sighs> um, they're one peg down from where okay. they are. 
perhaps grunge doesn't have the full virality in the pre-internet world. Like, it's hard to explain, but the closest simulacra that I can give to when things go viral now in the pre-internet world was when there was a gigantic movie or song or music video. Like, everyone knew it and had to, and if you didn't hear it or you didn't know it, you had to hear it, you know? Right. Like, like Smells Like Teen Spirit, everyone had to hear that song and had to see the video. Yep. Um, if you were under a certain age, absolutely. But then it was kind of like even people who were well outside of that age range had to at least kind of hear it or know it a little bit, you know? Yep. Um, omnipresent. It's the same thing. You know, movies had that effect. Yo, uh, how many, like, did you know anyone who didn't see Home Alone in the movie theater? No. It was just, like, it was just, it was you, go, you, to you see had it. to see it. Everyone had yeah. to see it. No matter if you were a kid, an adult, if you were alive during that point and conscious of what was happening around you, you went and saw that movie in the theater. It was Jurassic in the theaters Park, like same in, things. Yes. And oh God, some of those movies were in the theater for what felt like six months, eight months. You know, it was crazy. Yeah. Um, so grunge was coming. Smells like Teen Spirit was just the giant party that maybe was... Uh, you know, uh, the that escalated quickly moment, you know. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that was the the thing. Um, Nirvana still would have had hits, 100%. They, they got tracks on tracks, but Smells Like Teen Spirit just sonically has all these pop cues that don't work so well that they work perfectly. If that makes sense, no, I feel you. They don't. They're we're, not the. They're not the poster boys of grunge. They're more like an Alice in Chains or something. They're in the mix, and then yeah. and then you ask, well, who would the poster boys be? And I'm like, I'm not sure. That see that that's where I landed. I was like, well, then who takes up that mantle? I don't well, know. It's, it's not Pearl Jam because Pearl Jam, despite the fact that they were the, clearly the second biggest, mm-hmm. they always were a bit askew and they weren't quite as gritty. Yeah. So maybe they would have been even bigger, but I don't know. Um, Soundgarden is a maybe. It's a maybe. <sighs> yeah, Kurt had a special energy. It's tough to replace. Tough to replace, and you, you, you know, it, maybe it was just another one of their songs, um, but it wouldn't have get got quite as much traction as "Smells Like Teen Spirit." And the other question is that I think Smells Like Teen Spirit and its popularity enabled some stylistic choices on their following albums. Sure. And allowed them to kind of be a little bit more free-willing and like, yeah, we will play with pop sensibility stuff more. Like, we're unafraid of it. Like, it yep. worked. Let's make that work. So, yeah, that's the question. I, I love thinking about that. Um, I don't know who would fill that shoe. Yeah, I don't know if they're there. I don't know if they're there. I think grunge is still a thing, but yeah, it's not like that. It's fascinating to think about that. All right. Um, I have two more. Let's do it. What if Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness was an hour and 15 minutes short? (laughs) An hour and 15 shorter. Yeah. How long is it? Two hours? It's two hours. Two hours, three minutes, I think. Uh, so it's like a 40 minute blaster. 
depending on the track list, it's only the best stuff. Uh, it's like almost the peak of that era. I mean, it's like it's it's yeah. the definitive like end of grunge. This puts a seal on it record. And it's it's like the swan song for the grunge era and it's great. Swan song for the grunge era and a, an absolute must for it's, anyone who listens to alternative music. Yeah, it's like critical 90s listening. And it's really tough because I went into that listen we did thinking like, man, excited. There's a lot of elements I love here. And I left it going, man, a lot of elements I love here buried under so much stuff. I can't, I can't reasonably like expect any human to, to dig this record <laughs> out and I dig through all this, like without it being a chore, you know, it's tough. Oh, all right. Yours next. All right. Nice is this, one. Is, the, is this your last one? I have two more. Hell yeah. Okay. Well, but the last, one last one's quick and fun. Hell yeah. Um, what if the Smiths never broke up and we're still playing today? Oh, okay. One caveat. Would they have released new music? Yes. Um, and we can say that it's on par with Morrissey's catalog, more or less. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's reasonable. Um, the magic isn't there. However, they're successful. Um, but the magic and kind of I mean they would have been their career would look a lot like what the Cure's career looked like sure just with perhaps slightly less high highs in terms of commercial success yeah but they their career would look a lot like that successful career band who can tour the world has spots that they really kill have other spots where they do pretty well um they would have made a living, but they would just not be quite as legendary. And I think Morrissey himself also wouldn't be quite as much of a, again, like enigmatic figure. Yeah. I think that the Smiths break up and his kind of odd relationship there and the that contrast, that dynamic, the 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 tango between him and Johnny Marr. Uh, Johnny Marr really helps the whole thing. We're at the end of the line, right? Like, like the Smiths are not going to play a show unless it happened in the next like three to five years, right? It's not happening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I think what well, uh, it was just a little while ago, Johnny Marr opened for the killers at the garden yeah. and brought out Andy Rourke and they did a few Smith songs. Like that's, that's as close as you're going to get or just seeing Morrissey play Smith songs. Yeah. Which he does every which show. He does so. all the time. Yeah. So and Johnny so, Marr does too. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's cool. So, so you go get that version of it. Don't be sad that you didn't get to see it. Be happy that it happened when it did. Yeah. My, what if is it's, it's just a lot less exciting. I do think that the, the big takeaway to me is that there's some really good Morrissey records. Um, oh yeah. I actually think his catalog has its share of misses as well. Oh sure. But especially his first couple coming out of the Smiths, um, he's really biting and his lyrics are really just on. 
And I mean, we hate it when right our friends there. become successful. I mean, you don't have that, you know, without the Smiths breaking up. No, there's there's a lot. He's just he's got some very specific venom on those records that really floats. So that's the thing. Like I I I don't think they'd be as big as the Cure because the no. Cure have so much to offer in terms of their sound. Yep. Morrissey's catalog never even got that far away from what the Smiths kind of generally sound like. So, which I think in, in the long run ended up being uh, a, 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 a disabling effect yeah. on him. But Agreed. but yes, um, but it, and I think I think I think that you're right in that a lot of the appeal for the Smiths goes away just in the way that like you look at the Smiths now, it's this perfect catalog of perfect albums, start to finish, like it's like minor threat style where there's like barely a bad song in the bunch. And it's, it's a lot of music, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's really tough to do. And the aesthetic is perfect. And just, it's like this really beautiful little package of, of music for this band that existed for only a few years. And I just feel like the magic is gone. If they are still kind of just like slogging through tours and putting records out, you know? Right. If they, if they, (laughs) if they, yeah, if they career band it and it's just like, yeah, all right. Well, we need a new record. So, you know, um, because you think about that Smith's catalog and it's just really, it's really solid. Like, um, I mean, I, I, I I recommend people. I always tell people to check out the first few Morrissey records, but like, I think there's people who are Smiths fans who've never really sat with like strange ways. And that album's awesome. It's so <laughs> like, great. It's, it's yeah. great. Like there's just some tracks on there that are outrageous. Um, so anyways, uh, but it's, yeah, it's like, it's like the Ramones. It's like motorhead. It's like these bands that they never got bad, but like they put a record out every year and you're like, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's fine. It sounds like motorhead, you know, like, it's nobody's favorite Motorhead record, their fifteenth studio album, but yeah, sure, I'll go see them on tour. Like that's the vibe. Yeah, and that's let's let's put a bow on it and say that kind of sucks. It kind of sucks. <laughs> I don't All disagree. Right. Let me give you my last one. And yeah, right. this was fun. We're gonna do this again. This was more fun than I thought it would be. Yeah, it was good. What if Blink One Eighty Two Enema of the State? did not have the serious songs. Oh man. It still so, hits. Okay. It still hits. Yeah, like it doesn't have Adam's song and stuff. It doesn't have it doesn't have Adam's song. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can leave what's my age again. That's fine. Okay. But it doesn't have Adam's song. It has all the small things. All the small things is not a serious song. Yeah. Still I mean, has dysentery the, Gary. That's what I'm as long as it has dysentery Gary. Um I think it still hits. I think it's still a huge record. Um it's just it's just more one note, but I don't think that that is going to affect like sales or popularity of the band all that much. I th- I think it's more or less the same trajectory. Very likely. I think there's I could have broadened this and said their entire discography. They just lose the more introspective or, or <laughs> slightly deeper. Cause what's my age again is silly, but it's, there's a little hint to me. That's the thing that I enjoy about that song. Actually is this like weird, like damn, 
I'm 28 and I'm in a punk band. Yeah. Hmm. And I mean, you know, it's like at least there's a meta comment, especially as those dudes approach 50. Um, <laughs> you know, like, oh, hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and not just I'm in a punk band. I'm in a punk band that sings about poop. Uh, okay. Right, exactly. Like, special those kind elements, of punk band. Those elements are sort of what sets them apart from some of their peers. And like, question for you. Who's more popular, The Offspring or Blink-182? Like, if those two bands go on a tour together, who headlines? Oh, I think Blink-182 by far. Me too. And I think partially because stream-wise, like, neck and neck. 13.27 Blink, 13.2 Offspring. Wow. I would not have guessed that. Me neither. You know why? Because songs like Pretty Fly for a White Guy make me want (laughs) to die. Agreed. Yeah, that's but a like, fact. You know, prior to that, self-esteem, kind of like it. But anyways, Blink-182, interesting band because of that line they straddle. For sure. All right, so you got any more? You got one more, right? I got one more, but Let's it's kind of this just up. a joke. Let's put a bow on this Thanksgiving present to the people. All right, so what if Ozzy Osbourne dies? This is in like a few years. I thought you were just stopping, full stop. I'm like, I think it's inevitable. Like, yes, okay. What, what if, if he dies? I, I'll be sad. Yeah, yeah. okay. What are you gonna do, Bob? <laughs> no. um, I hope it's. I hope it's uh, Queen Elizabeth dies part two, like that level. Oh, uh, that'd be great. Coverage. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. What if Ozzy Osbourne dies? Mm-hmm. Black Sabbath reform. Okay. And they go on tour with Andrew WK as their new singer. Oh fuck. <laughs> Excuse my language in the Thanksgiving travel vehicle. Oh my God, Pete, that's. Ugh. Are you gonna go? No, am I gonna <laughs> go? Certainly not. Um, you know that Andrew WK did a tour with uh, Marky Ramone singing Ramone songs. That's what made me think of this. That's cool. I definitely don't care about that either. <laughs> um, a uh, f- friend of the show, Dave, saw Weird Al not long ago, where Weird nice. Al played only his serious, like only his originals, no covers. Why did he go to that? <laughs> Had very good seats too. Um, but he did close with a cover, but it was a straight cover of "Beat on the Brat" by the Ramones. Wow! Not like like "Beat on the Brat," like a sausage related <laughs> Ramones cover or anything. Um, but, you know, I mean, just, you know, diehard Al Yankovic. Like, my thought was, like, do you bill it as Al Yankovic? Like, not Weird Al, just Al Yankovic. No, I knew some people that went to that tour. He's apparently he, doing he different covers every night. So, it's interesting. interesting. Um, I saw him on the Bad Hair Day tour, but I don't think I'd go to the uh, the originals only. Pete, are you more likely to go see the uh, Andrew WK Sabbath or the Weird Al Sabbath? So Weird Al just singing for... Same thing. Yeah, straight. I mean, I got to go Weird Al. It's not even close, dude. Like, why are we even talking? Like, Andrew WK? Come on, man. Andrew (laughs) WK. Like, your gimmick died in, like, 2000... uh, Whatever the first year you were out. So Um, no love for I Get Wet from Bob. Not a damn thing. The, the, The one song was funny, I guess. I think he had some financial involvement with some underground... uh clubs that's cool like diy space things 
not even DIY spaces, like some bars in Manhattan that let loud bands play. Cool. Thanks, Andrew. Um, <laughs> I got nothing for him. I'll so back. No. I'll back. I'll, I get wet. We'll All do right. that for the Is podcast. Is it better than Tire? Yeah. Better than Tire. How many Black Sabbath records is I Get Wet better than? 12? <laughs> uh, that's a tough question. Yeah, I'm going to say five. If you told me there is a an Andrew WK video with him doing No More Tears straight, like just like <laughs> trying to croon it and like really nail it, I'd watch that. I'd watch it too. Happy right, Thanksgiving, I- Andrew WK. Happy Thanksgiving, Black Sabbath. Happy Thanksgiving, solo Ozzy material. Ozzy, don't die. Stick around.